category is mental health. Category is it takes a village. Category is motherfucking stories over stigma. Oh, good. <laughs> <laughs> wow. All right. So this is the redo, the launch of season three. And uh, wow, we're excited and and uh, we want to get it perfect. We're on a new platform. We had some technical difficulties, so we decided to re-record just to be candid about it. And uh, Stephen didn't Google enough before we started this. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I, you know, I thought it was pretty straightforward, but I think the reality is is that we were supposed to uh, um, use Google Chrome. And um, and that didn't work. So um, I think I, I learned my lesson. I downloaded Google Chrome and uh, and we just um, are going on from there. Um, you know, so I mean, I, I don't know what else to do uh, other than uh, re-record because there was no way I was actually going to let that uh recording actually get out of here not with so the only reason he wanted to re-record was it was his microphone that was malfunctioning because if it was my microphone that was malfunctioning we probably would have already went ahead and published it no that's not true at all it's true y'all know it's true no that's not true at all it's always about steven it is not (laughs) uh let's see um and uh and who was gracious was jolie yeah. Uh, Rad Help Melatis. Yeah, actually, our, guest, our guest is like, yeah, sure, we'll re-record. Yeah, I was so, I think, jo- Jolie, you, you're with us, right? No, oh, she's not here yet. Well, you know, we're, we're, as we wait for her to, uh, to, uh, to, to, to get on. Can you hear me? Yeah, there she is. Because if you're not having technical technical difficulties, guaranteed I will be. So it's all good, you know? <laughs> somebody's gonna do it somebody's gotta do it and it's usually me so you know you know what you know what it's just the way it is you know we and you have to know how to roll with the um well you know with the uh, punches so uh you know thank you so much for coming back and uh and re-recording this so for everyone and we're just being candid about it just because you know what hey we're human we're learning this new technology and uh and um and hey Stuff happens, as they say. Right. You know, so let's just get get in back to uh, let's talk about our summer again and um, and let everyone know about how the summer was. So you had diesel put in your car. Oh, yeah. We didn't talk about that. So we went up to um, Massachusetts and we took uh, Sebastian's little friend with us. And Sebastian being his true self, we were leaving the island and dad said, you know, go pump gas in mom's car and smash it's like my flip-flops broke i don't want to get out of the car and so (laughs) he sent his friend to go do it and this little sucker he sat there and i said put whatever steven says in the car and he went diesel right (laughs) and i looked at him and i was like yeah diesel and I walked away. And then we come back out. I went to go get waters and everything for the long trip. And I come back out and there's a puddle of gasoline by my car. And I go over to him and I'm like, what What are you doing? And I look down and it's the green handle. And I'm like, oh my God, you, you literally put diesel in my car. 
Yeah, you know, and it was so funny because I walked over to the young man who's uh, th- there was an article written in the local one of the local papers up on the Cape. And we had just gotten off the ferry from uh, Martha's Vineyard. And and mind you, I was I was fighting really battling um, pneumonia. So I, I really just wanted to get home. But we had to get our house ready for renters. So that's why we went up there. And so we did all of that work. When we got off the ferry, what Rebecca didn't tell you is that the first thing that happened was that our dog Izzy pooped in the car. Oh my God, she should have in the car. <laughs> Jolie, I mean, like, could you imagine if you were on a trip and so, like your dog pooped reason, in the car? The reason she did that was because the night before we took her to her pooping spot because she has her own little spot that she likes to go on the island. And we took her there. And it's right by the cliffs that look over the ocean. And Dingbat went over to the cliffs, which she's done a thousand times before. And we're like calling her back, but she leaned too far on the cliff and the sand gave way and she tumbled down the The bluff. bluff. And so once we got her back up the bluff, like she was too freaked out to do anything. So she didn't go potty the night before. (laughs) Right. So then we get her in the car and we're on the boat and she's crying and I'm like, oh my God, no, not right now. And so we get off the boat and I'm like desperate to stop somewhere for this poor dog. We didn't, we didn't make it in time. Yeah, no, we, uh, yeah. So we went to the center of Falmouth and that's kind of where it happened. So after I, and and I literally made a beeline in my car to the local, uh, um, I think it was the, uh, what is it called? It's not Walgreens. Walgreens. So I go to the Walgreens and I buy everything and mind you, no one ever talks to you hardly in New England, but today, that day, this, this, the nice sweet woman that was working the cash register there in Falmouth decided to have a long conversation about, oh, what happened? Oh my gosh, you have a dog. Do you? You have pictures and i'm like listen you know bring what? her in let's see her it's i really like, want to know right like i want to talk to you right now but, but not right now i have to get back to my wife who's like panicked so, so after all of that mess was when we went to the gas station so i was just over it by that time right and then this little boy puts diesel in my car and i'm like you you did why it, it was bad yeah and it, it, it was funny because i was so i mean if if my brown face could turn red i would have been beat red at oh, that moment he was, he was so and, mad and rebecca was mad that i was mad and i just looked at her and said call nationwide and i'm going to give myself a timeout he was so <laughs> mad i was so i was hot so but then the to add I guess to add to the story, two hours later, the the trucker finally comes and he puts the car up on a flatbed. He takes us to East Falmouth, where he drops it off at this at this point random mechanic shop. So we talk to the mechanic. Mechanic's like, "Oh yeah, I can fix it." Oh yeah, he's like, "I can totally do that. That's no problem. I oh, can yeah. fix it. I can no fix problem." It. And then he looks at me and he goes, "Tomorrow." Tomorrow. So then, re- <laughs> and I'm like, I have three kids in the car. I have a great Dane. Yeah, and we have to find a hotel room now. Not everybody takes dogs, let nope. alone Great Danes. Like, there's right. usually like a 75 pound limit on a dog, and she's like a hundred, if not over a hundred pounds. Right. So it's like, what? How am I gonna? What am I gonna do? So I called the first hotel. I called. They said that they took dogs, <laughs> and I said, "You accept dogs?" And she said, "Yes." And I went. Do you accept all dogs? And she was like, yeah. I was like, okay, perfect. 
Like, I'm not even going to say you what kind of dog. We're not going to get into it. You said all dogs. Move it on. Mind you, mind you, she's in tears. I'm calming her down because um, she knew I was already upset. But now I have to get man, like not man up, but toughen up, put my big, big uh, boy panties on and actually just keep everyone calm. And so um, uh, Rebecca goes to the hotel. I stay behind because we only had one car at this point and they had to get all the kids there. This hotel. It was uh, so sweet. It, it was, was such a cute hotel. It was a, 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 a cute hotel. And it was, uh, they were so sweet to us. Um, they let us stay there. They were so good to the kids. Um, oh my gosh. I think we, we posted it on our uh, Twitter page or Facebook page. If you guys are yours, if, but not <laughs> the, not the group, right? Um, no, no, I, I put it on the Twitter page. I don't think I put it in the, I'll put it in, in the group, in the group. Well, but well, they were, they were so nice. They, they let the boys play in the pool. And then right. the next day, the guy was like, I'm not going to get the car done until three and checkouts at noon. Right. So Steven goes up and he starts talking to these people. Like, you know, We'll pay for an extra because we didn't know if they were full or not. And so they were like, you know what? You've had enough drama. Like, just stay. I have no plans for the room. Put the boys in the pool. Get them out of your hair. That's perfectly fine. They were so nice. It was the Green Harbor Waterfront Lodging Hotel. And if you're ever in Falmouth, please, East Falmouth, stay there. Even if you're, no matter what you're doing on the Cape, stay there. They're a great, um, you know, privately owned business, but they're the sweetest people um, in the world. Um, they they did not have to, after COVID, be so nice to us. And they did. And I think the, the moral of the story there was that. That. Um, and I, then I ended up tipping them almost a full night's rent for the room because the staff and everyone was just so gracious and just wonderful to us. But I think also what I am proud of is that you didn't have, you weren't triggered in any way. Well, I didn't have a full on meltdown. No. You didn't have an episode. No, I didn't have a full on meltdown. Yeah. I almost did. Right. I almost did. Right. So I think, I think had we not found the hotel room, I would have. <laughs> if, we, if we just had to sleep outside. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We could have gone back we, to the house. We could have gone back to the house at that point and just said, screw the renters. But yeah, yeah. I more, almost more, did. More power to you. I think I would have had a full on meltdown. So. <laughs> <laughs> it was just one of those days. Like it was one thing after the other, after the other. And it's just like, oh my God. And you know, it was at the end of vacation. And at the end of vacation, like you just want to go home. Right. <laughs> like all I wanted to do was go home. Yeah. I think I wanted to have a BF about 12 times. Yeah. You were, experience. you were, you were, you were hot. Yeah. I was, yeah, it was, it was, it was, maybe I was the one that was triggered yeah like seriously and i don't even say that lightly because i was just like i had to talk myself you know that that technique what was the technique that you um that you talked about uh jolie would that have worked at yeah, that the moment tapping, the, the tapping, tapping the butterfly tapping yeah yeah well <laughs> I, 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 you know what I'll, I'll make you a deal you try it when you're that hot again and let me know because i don't think it would have worked for me i think i would have been way too pissed off <laughs> right <laughs> worse about it is like all this is happening and we're both pissed off at the whole situation and we have a 15 year old who's damn near in tears because yeah. he thinks that he has ruined everything right and it's like you know and at some point i had to call his mom and i had to explain what happened and his mom was so she's like you know we've never even let him pump gas i think he's done it <laughs> one time i was like well that would have been nice to know because i wouldn't have let him do it yeah <laughs> <laughs> she was like, I'm so paranoid of letting the kids pump gas because I'm always scared this is going to happen. I was like, well, it did. So, 
<laughs> it definitely did. <laughs> um, so yeah, so, you know, it, that was, you know, quite the experience and top of having to take care of me for three months, um, you know, because I had pneumonia, it wasn't COVID. I had three very detailed de- tests and I was vaccinated, but yet I still got a really bad case of, um, of pneumonia when we started going back to the gym. Yeah. And then we've had the stupid duck. We've had this duck. Okay, so everybody knows we have a ton of animals. I've had this duck that's been sitting on eggs since July. Eggs, mind you, that will not hatch because they are not fertile. But she has been religiously sitting on these eggs. So Mm. we went away. We went to Florida. And we come back. And in Florida, I was like, okay, we're just going to buy her babies. Like, this is ridiculous. She wants some babies. We'll buy her babies. The day we go to buy her babies is the day she decided to get off her nest. Right. (laughs) And I'm like, are you serious? You have been sitting on these eggs for three months and now you decide to get off your nest. So then I buy her babies and I bring her inside and I give her her babies. She's terrified of them. Scared to death of the babies. (laughs) Won't go anywhere near them. I was like, oh, Jesus Christ. So then I left her alone with the babies for a whole day. She finally took to him. Like, now she's really taken to him because she'll bite me if I go near him. But, like, I was just like, the day I get you babies, you decide you don't want anymore? Well, and you, you, well, you know, I, and my theory is, is that she didn't freak out in a bad way, is that um, she was uh, so excited that she was running around telling all of her friends in our, in, in our in our homestead that she had babies and yeah. she told you that she was going to be a mom. And now she was so excited that she was going to be a yeah, mom. Yeah, that's Steven's theory. Steven's theory is she got so excited that she screamed, basically. Yeah. <laughs> When she saw the babies. Right. By the way, before we go further, a shout out to uh, Secretary Buttigieg and his husband. They are now parents. Oh. Yes. I'm so excited to someone in national leadership um, um, and proving that love is love. And it's just amazing to see. So I'm super excited. That's so sweet. Yes. So, Jolie, why don't you introduce yourself? Um, Again. Uh, unlike last time, we won't talk about that little interview transition that <laughs> Rebecca didn't like. So why don't you go ahead and, <laughs> and, and tell us a little more about you. And then we're just going to have a conversation uh, like we did la- last time. I mean, it was beautiful. And I felt like we really kicked it off, uh, hit it off really well. It was like almost like dating. Like we we're creating this therapeutic poly relationship. So. Oh. Oh, it's really great. So, so, like, so, like, why don't you go on ahead? That note. Yeah, <laughs> introduce yourself, and I mean that in the most pure, like, G-rated way. I don't mean that in any bad way. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. So, I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist in the San Francisco Bay Area, and I specialize in working with trauma and uh, PTSD. And I think, as we were talking yesterday, I have some very interesting and and unique uh, groups of people that I get to work with. And so I'm one of very few that works with um, active duty and special forces teams for the military. And then we work with law enforcement, but we also work with refugees. And we then have this other side hustle, I guess, of the practice where we have um, Apple, Google, Facebook, because we're in the middle of Silicon Valley. So it's a very strange, it's a very strange group, but I'm super blessed to have some great clinicians that work for me and, um, and excited to be to be back here so soon. So thanks for having me again. 
that's true even without the book so like Oh, with that's yeah. that's pretty cool. <laughs> no, no, no. We are excited to have you, and so uh, and so happy that you were like super like gracious about coming back. So I know Rebecca doesn't like our sound effects, but I am just going to offer a clap to you. Oh, you. you know, that for coming. Not, that one's not that bad. Standing O, standing O. Uh Because you you did mention that you grew up um in the arts, right? You oh, you were yeah. a prof- a dancer. Did you go to the School of the Arts in San Francisco? I did not go to the School of the Arts in San Francisco. Um, I was a ballerina by training. And um, well, I mean, long, long story short, I kind of washed out at, at, at ballet after I, I started at 16 professionally and went to 19. And I was short, hippie and mouthy. Doesn't make for a good ballerina. I was going to say, were you just upset because your teachers were yelling at you too much? Because I know how it rolled. I had to take a ballet class because I did go to the School of the Arts in D.C. And they made us take a, a modern movement class, which also included ballet. And like, I've never been yelled at more <laughs> by a teacher to get my damn leg up on the bar. I'm like, I can't. I'm not flexible. Yeah, Steven's not built like a dancer. Yeah. <laughs> Steven's built more like a linebacker. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, and I, I'm 5'2", and, and, and in the world of ballet, when I was in it, um, you know, dancers were 5'10", and there was no way I was going to grow. I mean, I didn't, it just, it wasn't going to happen. And, and so I left ballet and I went into doing other types of dance and, and did film and commercials and, and spent a over 20 year career as a dancer and teaching dance. And then I taught university and um, that therapy sounds great. Let's do that instead. And so had this total shift later in life and, and became a therapist. I, I don't have a better explanation than that. So, so in what ways ha- did your discipline as a dancer inform your study um, on the collegiate level? Like, you know, did you take, do you have any takeaways that you took to college with you? And maybe to some of our budding college students um, around the world, they can, you know, maybe you impart some knowledge to them and wisdom. <laughs> other other than don't study your own issues. I mean, I went <laughs> I so my area, but my background actually is is working with broad spectrum eating disorders, trauma, mm. and PTSD. Now we can draw the dots. Remember, I'm a ballerina by training, so not not hard to figure this one out here. Right. Um, you know, and so I always joke and say, you know, only only people go to psych school to heal themselves. I don't know why else you'd go and do that much therapy on yourself, study therapy, read about therapy, and do more therapy on yourself. Like it just. It, it's a lot of therapy. Um, right. But, you know, I think going going into it and, and what I tell students now when I when I do career fairs and, and I lecture a lot, um, which I love to do, it's, you know, I say find, find your passion. Um, there are so many schools. There's, there's the right school out there for everybody. It's not just the name. There's the right the right thing to do, the right job that you love, you know, and I got, I got lucky twice. You know, I loved what I did as a dancer. I wasn't ready to retire. That's a whole nother story. Um, but my body decided it was done and, and I ended up loving therapy. Um, and I love what I do and I love the people that I work with. And so I think for me, that was, I, I was really blessed twice to, to get to do something that, um, is it isn't always work all the time and so that's usually what I tell people I would add to that one caveat to that don't 
think that your dream when you were 18 is going to be what you grow up to be either. And don't get upset if it's not. Totally, totally. I mean, it's things change. So things and I'm not I'm not one of the the normal people. And I say that because, you know, not not everybody does what they said they were going to do when they were five. Right. Um, And even then I switched careers and and I never thought I would I never in a a million years thought I would be doing what I do now. Um, Yeah. No, I'm it's 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 true because like all growing up, like all I wanted to do was be a veterinarian. That's all I wanted to do was work with animals and be a veterinarian. Mm -hmm. And it's like, now I'm getting ready to get a master's degree in library of science. Like that sounds boring as hell, but it's, that's what I do. It's what I love. It's what, you know, I fell into this job and it's just the history and everything is what I love. So like things change, like you're not going to stay that five-year-old little person all the time. So, you know, don't be upset if, your life path doesn't follow the trajectory that you made when you were 10 in your room. Yeah. But you know, um, and, and I, and I, and I can totally appreciate that because when I was, uh, when I was in the school of the arts, I, I, I just had this thought that somehow I was well, not somehow, but I wanted to be a famous writer. I wanted to sit around and write poetry and, um, and, and smoke cloves. And then I, <laughs> and then I, and then I smoked cigarettes and then I wanted to have all this angst and I wanted to just re- I wanted to read Rimbo and, uh, and I wanted to talk about a season in hell and the drunken uh, boat, and I wanted to talk about Ginsburg. I wanted to write my own poetry and be provocative, be a great poet. And um, and I think I realized at that point, uh, you need to make money. And <laughs> right. And uh, and and it didn't quite unfold the way that I thought it was going to unfold. However, I think in my career, I try to find ways to to tap into that creativity. And um, so what do you do in terms of, do you see a lot of patients? Um, and, and I know who you work with, and we'll definitely get with your work with law enforcement and these high-level public servants who are doing some dynamic things and, and are at crossroads right now. But do you ever get individuals who don't feel like they fully fulfilled their dream or somehow their dream got lost? And then how do you approach that You know, using some of those fabulous models that we talked about um, um, that are in your repertoire? Yeah, you know, I, I think I, I get it a lot more than um, than I think we traditionally would think of, oh, it's this midlife crisis thing, which I don't necessarily buy. And people, you know, it, it, it's not the 50s. You don't do one job for 30 years and then you retire on a pension anymore, right? People have right. so many different things that they do. And and what I'm seeing, though, is it is so difficult for for people entering call, especially in Silicon Valley where the, the academic competition is insane. And so, you know, um, people are, are struggling to figure out what name they should go to, which again, I, I don't necessarily buy, buy into. Um, and then people are struggling when they graduate. It's like, well, I don't know what to do now. Right. Or, you know, I studied X, Y, and Z and I hate it. Right. Um, so, so now what do I do? Like, now I have no life. Now I don't know what to do. Now I can't find a job or worse yet during COVID with so many people graduating, right? They couldn't get jobs. They're like, I love what I do. I can't find a job now. And so, so we saw, I saw a lot more of, I want to say that 18 to, to 
to 25 age range around this particular issue of I, I'm not happy. You know, I just spent all this time and I'm not happy and I don't know what to do. Um, I have student debt. I don't know, you know, I can't get a job. I don't know how to figure it out. And even if I could get a job, I don't want to do what I just got done studying. So I, I think more than ever, it seemed to be just this huge added stressor that, that wasn't, I think it wasn't sexy enough to talk about with COVID, but yet mm. that was part of the fallout of COVID, you mm-hmm. know? And you know, and, and and speaking of COVID and 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 mental health and and really understanding your your mind and your body, uh, you know, again, a shout out to Simone Biles, uh, who during the Olympics had to self care, and the world went bat poop crazy, and um and uh and but I'm glad she did it, and I'm glad others are stepping forward about the importance of mental health. Um, you know, I I I, I just you have to self care. And um, I think it was Billy Porter from Pose who who also said that like during this time, what COVID forced him to do was to slow down and pay attention to trauma, to the trauma in his life and deal with it. Yeah. And and that was like the hardest thing to do. You're moving a million miles. He has, a, I mean, had a hit show that's now done. But you know, Simone Biles has a hit career, an incredible career. And to slow down in the midst of it, to say I have to take care of my mind. I mean, that's powerful, Joe. Like, yeah. So, and I loved the conversation that we, you know, we're, we were having about her yesterday and, and Rebecca talking about, you know, well, if she were a man or a white man, like what this narrative would have been so different. Right. Um, and, you know, I think too, when you talk about trauma, so much of people who are so highly functional and Simone had a lot, she has a lot of trauma. She had a lot of trauma from the world of gymnastics and and being sexually abused. And when you think about like the coping mechanism of, okay, well, I'll just keep striving. I'll keep working toward perfection. I'll keep doing because it keeps us out of having to think about our trauma and how we feel and how we physically feel about it, not just mentally feel about it. So we keep achieving, 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 right? Because we don't want to deal. Right. And at some point, that all, I mean, you hit that brick wall. I mean, we all do. I mean, I've talked about it in the past when I've hit my brick wall. I mean, we all hit our brick wall at some point. Yeah. And yet, and yet we don't normalize that for people, right? We don't say, hey, that's when you keep going and you have your foot on the accelerator, you know, 110. 100% of the time, you're going to crash, right? And right. instead, what we say is, oh, well, it's this mental illness, quote unquote, thing. And it's like, no, this is about mental health. There's no illness here, you know, um, right. no balance. And and we're not doing a good, I think we as a, as, as a general public, right, aren't necessarily doing a good job of providing the balance and the support to say, it's okay to slow down. It's okay to take a break. It's okay to to get the kind of help that you that you need, whatever that looks like for you. Um, instead, right. we, we kind of put this in this, oh, well, there's this illness thing about it, which, you know, I, I think she, you know, Simone did a great job of starting to, to take the lid off of that. But we've got this stigma that we cannot shake as a society, you know? 
Yeah, I mean, you know, it's it's you know, Rebecca's right. You know, when you and my comment was is that you know maybe they just they wanted they want all you know any person of color to shut up and just do their job, mm-hmm. and that's kind of always the narrative. Um, and it is just shut up and you know what you should be lucky enough that we let you run in our for our country mm-hmm. and that's kind of how it feels sometimes when you listen to the comments you know it's not about patriotism it's not about all those are code words that's coded language and 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 to live under that and then like like yesterday like we were talking about like in addition to that, to mess with your scores because you are so good. Like, what if that was Larry Bird? Or what if that were even Michael Jordan? I mean, would anyone in Chicago stand for that? Or Magic Johnson in L.A.? Or, you know, you know, of course, Larry Bird was up in Boston. But, like, would anyone have st- stood for a man, or in particular a white man, being told that your three-pointers are not three-pointers because you're just too good? Yeah, I mean, they didn't, they didn't even do that with... Um... The oh, golfer. Tiger. Tiger. Tiger Woods, yeah. It's not like they looked at him and they were like, no, that doesn't count as the birdie because we have to add points to it because you're just, you're black. And you mentioned Ma- Michael Phelps, too. Yeah, they didn't do it to Michael Phelps. No. So, I mean, I think when you live under all that pressure, there is trauma. Um, you know, and, and, and there is trauma and, and people say, oh, you just, you know, you know, oh, well, you black people are always trying to complain and you always, but there is trauma with being a person of color, particularly a black person in America that is handed down from generation to generation that has to be dealt with. Do you ever find, so I tend to like, when I tell stories of my childhood and things like that, like everyone will look at me and be like, wow. That that was bad. Like that shouldn't have happened. And to me, it's just my normal. So I was like, well, it wasn't that bad. Like, do you find that you see that a lot? Like people have like these traumatic experiences, but they just it, it wasn't that bad. They normalize it, right? Yeah, it's normal. To- totally. I mean, and and like I I do it too. I mean, I think you know, it's I. I, I really believe trauma's in the eyes of the beholder. And if, if somebody is, is saying this was traumatic for me, then it's trauma. It, and, it, and that, so what does that mean? Right? Like I don't have to sit there and judge it and say, Oh, well, no, that's not as traumatic as this one time when, right? Like yeah. if somebody thinks that they've experienced trauma, they've experienced trauma and, and, does that does that need to be like this, you know, big D diagnosis stuff? Maybe not, you know, um, but to be able to just sit with somebody and go that that really sucks. Other people, like you said, come into it and they say, this is just who I am or this is my story. And um, and sometimes they they sugarcoat it. Right. And, and either it's a deflection or they just don't they don't think that that was traumatic for them. So then. I typically go, okay, well, you know, what does that mean for you? Right. That not that. So we talked about this a little bit, right. Not so what, who cares, but so what do you want to do with, with that information? You know, if it's not traumatic, it's not traumatic. We don't need to judge it. And if it is, what, how, how do you want to resolve it? Right. And so I think about like, like you were saying this, this idea of the systemic racism and the systemic trauma that's multi-generational, um, it, that's a real thing. It, it's a very real thing. And, mm-hmm. you know, we were talking about this and, and I had made a comment like, 
you know, it's hard for me sometimes because all I can do is be real in the moment and say, look, I'm a privileged white girl. I, I don't know how else to say it. Um, right. I've had my, I've had my fair share of crap and I've got trauma and I've got all sorts of other things that, that come with me when I show up as a therapist. Um, and, and I, and I won't ever understand. And so can we just start there? Can we just meet with, I can listen and I can provide support and maybe some suggestions, but understanding or, or saying, Oh, I totally get it. You'll never hear from me because I don't, I'm not black. I don't get it. And, and I never will. Right. And so I think we lose that human element of just being able to show up as a human and say, this is a real thing. And so how can we address this together? That's so true. And that's real talk because, you know, <clears throat> it's nothing worse than a person trying to identify with your trauma with no personal experience. Um, and I think it's very real because I'm sure, of course, you can empathize, but you don't really understand the situation. It's like, I, I don't understand what it means to be bipolar, to have your brain fog and to 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 have every intention to be quote unquote normal, if that's a word or a term that's legit, and then have everything turn upside down because you're your chemical or your you know your imbalance for the day. Like I don't know what that what that is like. I know what it's like as a partner, right. and that's different because Mike, I have to be fully committed to the individual because ultimately there is a choice. I could walk away. Mm -hmm. You know, but she can't walk away from bipolar. Mm -mm. And and I have to always keep that in mind as she battles it. And there are family members even who don't understand that. They just say, well, you know what? You know, it, it should be good as long as she does X, Y, Z. No, yeah. that's not true. You don't know what it means to be bipolar. Well, yeah. And I mean, in a perfect world, like I would be good if I took my medication and got enough sleep and drank enough water and blah, blah, blah. But you can do all the right things and still have a bad day with a mental illness, not even bipolar, just a bad day. And, and, and then welcome to motherhood. And this idea of normal, I mean, you know, Rebecca, you were just saying like, it's not traumatic to me. Other people are like, oh my God, that's a lot. And you're like, yeah, but that's just my life, right? It, this is the same thing where, you know, it's like, this is the normal for, for you as a couple. Yeah. Like, so, so, you know, this idea of there's got to be some measured standard that we have to adhere to all the time in order to fit. I just, I don't buy it. Yeah. And I think it's harmful for people personally, but. Yeah. Yeah. No, it is. And you have to relax and, get, and cut yourself some, some slack and give yourself a break. I mean, that's just what it is. And and you have to understand that there are going to be good days and bad days. And you know, I was listening to your show with Coach P, um, and and she mentioned this, and I thought it was just such a poignant perspective, right? And it's, you know, we take, we take medication for diabetes, right? We take medication when we have thyroid issues. We take yep. there's all sorts of things that we do to take care of our body. And nobody sits back and goes, oh my gosh, whisper, whisper, whisper. Right. Right. Um, right. And they certainly don't tell you, oh, you're on a lot of medication. Right. Right. <laughs> <laughs> right. Like no, 
nobody does that. Nobody says, oh, I have to take my blood pressure pills. And they're like, oh, my God, you take blood pressure pills? Right, exactly. Like, wow, you know, you shouldn't take that stuff. You know what they say about that. You know, you can pray it away. Yeah. You can just pray your blood pressure. Have you tried yoga? Yeah, exactly. (laughs) And it's like, if it were that easy, don't you think I'd be doing it? I mean, exactly. It's just mind-blowing it is mind and i and i say that as a as a person that that has my own struggles and i say that as a clinician right and so i find myself sometimes over correcting in session where i'm like look i understand that if it were that easy you'd be doing it that's not what i'm saying you know <laughs> i hear i i like i <laughs> i couldn't agree with you i couldn't agree with you more well, and the one thing that I like about what you were explaining to us about your version of therapy, because everyone has different versions, is, you know, like, try it. Try it. Just see if it's going to work. Like, let's come up with a plan. Let's try the plan. If it doesn't work, great. Perfect. Now we know that didn't work. Let's try something else. You know, like, don't just give up because the first thing you did didn't work. Like, there are lots of skills and lots of things that we can do and we can try. Totally. And we were, you know, we were talking about this and commiserating about, you know, the, the search for finding a good therapist. I'm like, just because you have a bad therapist doesn't mean therapy doesn't work. Like find somebody good. There are a lot of crappy therapists out there and and there's good ones. Right. But, but it's like, don't, when somebody comes in and they're like, okay, I read this book and I hate reading. It's like, well, I'm not going to assign you more books to read. That is not helpful. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. That is not going to help you through this. No, no. And I, you know, and it's, and it's funny because it's not funny. The interesting thing is, is that some therapists will actually lead you. It's almost like they're trying to guide you to a point where they want to be versus where you really are. Well, that's your whole conspiracy theory about therapists. Steven always thinks they're trying to like take you somewhere where you don't want to go. I am not a naturally paranoid person, but the thing about it is, is that when I was in college, I went and saw a therapist and it was because a lot of stuff was going on. And I was like, you know, you know, I get upset and I yell. Well, what happens when you yell? I just yell. Do you, do you, um, you know, what do you do when you yell? And it was almost like she was trying to get me to the point to say that I become violent. And that's not true. And I said, I looked at her, I said, listen, what are you trying to accomplish here? I don't get violent. I get upset. I might yell. I might run from one room. I said, but I'm not breaking stuff. I'm not slamming. And, and she's like, mm-hmm. And she looked at me with such suspicious eyes. Like I was just wasn't telling the truth. And and it's like, and ever since then, I mean, I think one of the best ones we had was when we were first married and we went to Cappy Morgan Black because Cappy actually talked about, she, she was the one who said, I can't diagnose you officially, but I think what you have is bipolar because I have a son who's bipolar. She didn't try to guide the conversation where she wanted to be. She asked questions, qualifying questions. And I think, am I wrong, Joe? Like, is that, is that, I mean, like, what's a, what's a good therapist in terms of, or what are your best practices, I should say? Yeah. You know, great, great questions. And, and I always lead off my first session is look, try, try this with me two or three times. I am not the right person for everybody. I have a strong <laughs> yeah. personality. I'm really directive, super sarcastic. And actually, this is me as a therapist. Um, I'm just myself. And so if you 
doesn't work, I will send you to somebody great, right? So I think best practices is I ask all the time. I ask clients I've seen for years, how's this working for you? What do we need to do differently? What do mm-hmm. I need to do differently? Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I think I think that's best practice is, is being completely upfront. Here, here's who I am. Here's the model that I, I like to work with or, or here's how I think therapy should work. What do you want to know? Let's let's have these questions. And the minute you feel like you're getting judged or and you call your therapist out and you're like, are you judging me? And they go, oh, no, I'm non-judgmental. Leave. <laughs> right. <laughs> because we're human, right? And it's right. Like, like, I think it's just it, it's it's developing somebody that you can trust. And and especially when you're talking with talking about things like bipolar and trauma, those are two specific things that come to mind where you feel it. If you have a therapist that understands, you know, what bipolar is, you can feel that physically. There's an energy about that. And they're like, yes, I understand what this is. I've worked with this before. Here's my approach. And that feels differently when somebody's like, oh, yeah, I work with all sorts of mood disorder. And it's like, <laughs> well, but, but do you, though? Do, right. Do you? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you there's some- I've had people who are like, Oh yeah, yeah, I totally do that. And then you get in there and it's like you have never talked to a person like me before in your life. Right. I can just tell by the way you're talking. And you feel it, you know, and I that's that's what I say about trauma. And when I'm interviewing you know, new clinicians, right? It's it's like tell me tell me a little bit about you and, and what happens because when you sit with trauma, you <laughs> When somebody has think something that's happened to them, they know that that they're sitting with somebody who's had something happen to them because you physically feel it. Mm-hmm. And, and, and so I think, you know, these are best practices. And, and that doesn't mean I think every great trauma expert has, ha- has had trauma in their background. I'm just saying that from my opinion, um, there's a million approaches and there, there, are, there are some that are horrific. Um, uh, most of them are not. And if one doesn't work, try something else. It, it really, it, it's that I, so I think for me that that's where I start with. And, and it's like, tell me, and I have clients, I, I have, I have a client. I will share the story with you and I'm allowed to tell the story. I have full permission to tell the story. <laughs> <laughs> Great. <Whew. laughs> yeah, just, just, just disclaimer. Um, and, and I haven't seen this client in years, but I have a client who, um, was at the time um, active duty Navy, and this person was going round and round and round about failed relationships and had been in a relationship for about six months that was just not not great and trying to save it and trying to save it and trying to save it. And to this day, and I've asked this person what I said to elicit this kind of response and they don't remember and I don't remember what I said, but I said something and what this person said to me was double bird, both fingers, double flip off. <laughs> oh no. F you, Dr. Phil, got up, walked out and slammed the door. And I sat there and started to cry. I'm like, I had no idea what I said, but it must've been great. And eventually they walked back into my office and they sat down and they're like, well, that wasn't nice. And I'm like, I'm really sorry. Like, you know, and it was, it was, one of the best defining moments of my career as a new therapist, because it was like, Hmm, I wonder if I should censor myself. And then the flip side and, and then talking to my therapist for months over this, right. Of 
no, just show up, right? Show up and be yourself. That that client and I ended up having having we did great work together. I get emails every once in a while still after all of these years. And like I said, I have permission to tell the story. But but what's so funny to me about it is I have no idea what I said. I have no clue what I said. Wow. <laughs> I mean, to be in that. Ex- ex- <laughs> There's a couple therapists I would have said fuck off to, too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Just a few. Um, yeah. You know, the season three is no different from the other two. Can we not drop the F-bomb? <laughs> I do all the time, so I'm trying to censor myself. Just be mindful. <laughs> so. I'm going to end up having to put make this, uh, well, I'll put a disclaimer, some strong language. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, you know, it's very true. You know, something that struck me is how therapists can be very judgy and we just recently got our oldest son, Sebastian, into therapy. He has ADHD and a lot of social anxiety. And with him going back to in-person schooling, I just thought, you know, maybe if he had somebody else to talk to that's not mom and dad. Because, you know, he tells us stuff and our our response is to react sure. and to fix it. And, you know, sometimes he just wants he just wants to complain, you know, and, and my gut reaction is to fix it. So I was like, well, maybe if he just, he has somebody he can talk to other than me and dad, that would be healthy for him. So we found this therapist It's a young guy. God, he has to be like in his mid twenties. And so like I left the room and I let smash and talk to him and smash and came out of counseling. And I was like, how was it? And he was like, you know, it was really nice. He didn't just sit in a chair and write notes and judge me. <laughs> Hmm. He's like, he just kind of talked to me, but he wasn't taking notes and like judging me all the time because that's what all his other therapists did. You know, they were the type that just sat in the chair, took notes and went, mm, mm-hmm. <laughs> and, like, a teenage boy does not respond well to that. Like this guy played chess with him and they like, were like dude bros. And, like it was a whole thing. Well, you know, coach P has this hashtag stories over stigma and like, we totally adopted it. And, but like talking to all of you, now I feel like I want to go get a therapist like an Armani uh, bag. <laughs> like now I just like it needs to be a part of my fashion. Uh, Everybody court. needs therapy. Yeah. I need- I, I, right. And I joke and, and especially people who, who have the, the, you know, fortune to have insurance. I, it's like, look, go. It's like, where else can you go for an hour once a week and bitch and complain about whatever right. you want? They can't tell anybody. Nobody hears you. And then you leave and, and you feel so much better. Yeah. Know? Right. Like stop keeping all that in. Right. Right. You, you can, you, you absolutely, uh, you know, have a place to let it out and you do feel better. Like, you know, and, and it's something cathartic about this show, even like when and talking to you, like even afterwards, I get so, I feel refreshed, you know? Uh, and so I feel like, you know what, maybe I just need to go ahead and get a therapist just so, you know, just like I would a size 42 Armani jeans, you know? Maybe that can be your midlife crisis. You'll finally go to therapy. Yeah, right. <laughs> you learn to love therapy. Right. Yeah. 
<laughs> so, you know, I don't want to let this opportunity um, to pass to have you really talk about some of the interesting um, uh, projects or things that you're working on with CBT or DBT, and then also with the law enforcement community, because I know that, you know, in our talk, you you have some really interesting stories about the, uh, I guess, the crossroads that many individuals are in based on the times that we're living in with all of the social justice and, and all of the things that's going on with law enforcement this whole defund the police movement, you know, and blue lives matter movement. So take the opportunity to kind of dig in there. I mean, that was, that was interesting aspect of what you're working on. Yeah. We, we start, we were talking a little bit about, um, about that and, and yesterday, right. With the, with the BIPOC, that, that kind of, I guess what I was saying is in Silicon Valley and in the middle of California, right. um, So many people, that we've seen in the last couple of years. And, and it really started with, with the election and, and then this sort of transferring of power. And, um, and then with, with George Floyd, it, it getting significantly worse where we had a lot of young um, law enforcement people coming in who were on the job. I want to say five or, or, or less years who were, well, I'm not, I'm not white. I don't identify that way. And I'll just make up someone, you know, um, minority, female, um, LGBTQI, you know, and, and Mm -hmm. who would say, I wanted to be a cop since I was a kid, right? This is all I've ever wanted to do. Now here I am. And my family's angry with me. My friends are, you know, angry with me. People disown me because I, I'm a police officer and yet I don't identify that way. And really, really struggling with, in these these crossroads of, of mm. how do I do my job and how do I do my job well and yet at the same time I can't I can't support what's happening um, and you know it was a really it was a really interesting place um, for me personally to sit with and and to go through um, and it started you know with politics where how do I be a, a you know, a, a very outspoken um, feminist and a supporter of, of human, you know, just humans and mm-hmm. love is love and, you know, in, and black lives matter and, and all of these like tropes that we're starting to hear when I grew up, you know, I grew up with these beliefs and, and they're very dear to me. And now all of a sudden it's in my face. And how do I work with a population that I love working with? And, and yet there's this crossroads where I'm not going to align with everybody that comes into the practice. And, um, and can I still support that? Can I, can I right. still work with police officers that don't necessarily share the same views that I share? Mm. Um, and, and, and it was, it was a lot of self analysis and, and work. And again, me, you know, working with my therapist and, and I have a, an amazing director, um, and a lot of talk with her and I about, you know, this is what reform is. Reform looks like you show up and you start using education and you use your voice and you you put it out there and you and how can we have these hard conversations to make change? Um, and and it's been it's been a difficult it's been a difficult road and I think it's been a difficult road for a lot of people who are finding that they have very strong beliefs and and yet not everything about you know this this 
like you said, Blue Lives Matter, right? You throw you threw that one out there. There are several that, right? Um, all like, the red lives, all that, yeah. The whole the whole thing, and it's like, well, like I don't necessarily like I have an opinion about that, and I know that my clients are going to have an opinion, and we aren't necessarily going to meet in the middle, and so. Before 2016, I will tell you that that was not an issue for me, that it was easy for me to sidestep that and say, that's not personally directed at me. You, you know why? And you can let go of the tension that you might be feeling the struggle on the inside because January 6th proved that this whole Blue Lives Matter was a, just a racist response to the word Black Lives or the term Black Lives Matter, not the organization. I think the organization, you can debate whether or not some of their directives or actions were um, har har harmful or positive. And I think you can have that discussion. But the problem with a Black Lives Matter organization and the Black Lives Matter as a term that everyone says, well, okay, I, I, that's a, I, I believe with that, is that it confuses the issue. Because it, it then the organization becomes political and radical um, in their approach for civil uh, rights, and but it over it sort of overshadows the term. Yeah, Black Lives Matter. But then I've also saw a video recently with someone down in Tennessee who had a Black Lives Matter sign, and everyone was calling this woman a, a in lover and all of this stuff. So I know the spirit behind when I see blue lives and all of that. Yeah, I love law enforcement. I have family members, I have friends, and I have absolute respect for law enforcement and law. But when it comes to calling out those things that you have to call out, that makes our society as a whole better. That is not a bad thing. Now, do I say, well, I want to go burn down a building? No, absolutely not. I don't know. I don't necessarily agree with that as protest either. But I do understand that the response Though noble, because a lot of people genuinely believe that blue lives matter, I understand that. But I think overall, the spirit behind it is sort of racist to me. And, the, and, the, and how do how do we, you know, when we talk about mental health, right? Like mm -hmm. all of this stuff goes into our daily well-being. We're we're ah. inundated with this all the time. Like we can't get away from it. Like even I want to check my Instagram feed and see, you know, I've got. Um, my my kids are a little older and so i've got two at university i want to see what they're doing and right. you're inundated with stuff and even when i say i want to unplug like i just i don't want to i don't want to see this today or i don't want to i don't want to pay attention to it right now we're inundated with all of this stuff and and it forces us to be polarized as a, as as a nation and and i think detrimental and you're right it it's there's agenda there's the the systemic systemic racism systemic heterosexism systemic genderism i mean we can we can name them all and so right so that weighs on us uh, it weighs on our mental health and it weigh i think it weighs on how we show up as as people and so it becomes it, it becomes any statement right that that i make now is polarized politicized it's taken in the wrong context um you know how do you say i you know i support all people and i support the police that that becomes that becomes a platform for somebody right there's always going to be somebody out there right. who's, who's hating because now we have a platform where that's acceptable behavior right and right 
Right. You know, and I've gotten to the point now where I've had to tell friends who they always, you know, they know I live in D.C. They know I've worked for trade associations that lobbied for causes. And for some reason, they always not for some reason, they always want to call me and throw in the fact who they voted for. And I and and like and I'm like, you know what, honestly, I'm just happy you voted. Secondly, I don't really I'm not judging you based on your beliefs. I said, as long as we can respect one another. I said, but then also the more important thing is, is how do we be better Americans? How do we, how do we really live up to the ideals of the constitution that all men are, and all women, all people are created equal and, 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 you know, and have this right of liberty. How do we do that? That's what I'm concerned about. I want to do what's right for America, not right for a party, not right for a race, not right for agenda, a gender, um, but uh, the what's right for America, and that includes everyone, and you know, and and that's the conversation that I like. I like to turn it back to that, because then I don't have to have these stressful, triggering conversations. Yeah, and triggering is 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 such such a great is such a great word because it, it's everything now is is trigger based, right? I'm going to throw all this stuff out there and I know it's going to light somebody up. Well, Rebecca doesn't like the word triggered because she's just like, everyone just uses it. They use it so much. Like every, everything is triggered. And, and I get it. Like there is a lot of stuff that is triggering to a lot of people, but like the waitress forgetting your spoon didn't trigger you, you know, like right, right. don't it. It's so overused that it's lost its meaning. You know, so is that it, it, it's I, I did a training um, a couple months ago about and we it was new for new supervisors and new supervisors who are supervising specifically 18 to, to 25 year old people. And we were and I was laughing. I said, look, everything is hyperbolic and and mental health terms are part of regular speech. Oh my gosh, she's so, we'll just use bipolar, right? Oh my gosh, she's so bipolar. Hold on for a second, right? Or, oh, I feel suicidal, or I'm so depressed, or I'm- Or, oh my God, I'm so OCD, it's so clean in here. Right, right. And and the and and so this is a generational thing that we're seeing where diag like DSM diagnostic terms that we that we use that are important are now part of just a way to describe how I feel about something. Right, and and that's absolutely- I hate and it, it. I know it shouldn't bother me so much, but I get into arguments with people because it's like my diagnosis is not your adjective, like it's not. And it shouldn't be an adjective. Like, I don't know where we got off making them adjectives, but like my illness is not your adjective. Find a better word. There are more than enough words to use. You don't have to use my diagnosis. Yeah, you know, and, and to chime in, I heard a congressman actually recently on TV say, yeah, you know, it was a big bipolar. And I was just like, ah, it's poor form. Tacky. Yeah. Oh, I hate it. Yeah. But, you know, we go back to, to, to the, the Coach P, you know, uh, discussion, or we were talking about medication, right? Nobody, but nobody says, oh, my gosh, you know, they're, they're so diabetic. <laughs> right? <laughs> like, nobody says that. Nobody right. Says that. <laughs> Meanwhile, you're shoveling in a chocolate cake. Oh, my God, I'm so diabetic today. Right? Like, 
who says that? Nobody, yeah. right? But but yeah. yet, but yet, it's totally okay to say that about about mental, you know, mental wellness. And it is unfortunate. It's abusive because, you know, you're right. And, you know, and as much as cancer is running rampant in the country and around the world, no one ever says, man, I'm feeling so brain cancer today. I feel like I got a tumor. Like you would never say that about yourself um, or even a loved one. Right. Right. Well, wow. This was like almost even a more in-depth and, and like interesting conversation. Like, I feel like I know you we're like old friends and, and um, believe it or not, we have gone through an entire hour um, of, I'm serious. It's like, we, and we could probably do two, um, uh, but it's, it's been, it's been really cool um, having you on the show for our season three kickoff redo uh and um why don't you take a moment to uh to tell everyone where you are um and we'll we'll drop all the information as always in the description and you better come back of course to promote your book not that you not maybe not kind of you better come back and uh and promote your book but meanwhile why don't you go ahead and plug and um, okay. And I would love, I would love to come back. I'll come back as much as you want me to. This is so much fun. And, and I said that last night. This is just so We're cheering. We're cheering you on. Rebecca, you're, yeah. Rebecca's not going to be happy. No. No. <laughs> I mean, that one's not so bad, but like, now you've hit it again. I, I tried to stop it, but it didn't work. So yeah. I won't touch it again. So now, like. <laughs> These are so cool. These audio effects. Uh, all right, so go ahead. I'm sorry, Joe. No, you're you're it's, hey, all good. Um, so yeah, you can find me. It's it's my name. I know you'll drop it all in in, in your socials, and people can find it that way. Um, and email me, ask questions. I you know will direct people to the places they need to know or need to go. I should say. Um, and uh, we've got offices in, in California, and I see people, actually I'm licensed in, in multiple states, so I see people all over um, and do some coaching. And then, yeah, I'm, I'm getting ready uh, to do a book. And actually, it's a trauma journal, and I am so excited about it, and I can finally talk about it. And uh, hopefully that'll come out in a, in a couple of months. Um, and what That's else? exciting. Yeah, yeah, it's it's with this super cool company called Switch Research. Um, and if you if you you know find me on Insta, DM me, we'll respond, um, and you can find Switch, and and I'll come back and promote it. Um, but but that's what we're doing, and uh, I just am always happy to provide resources for people. You know, for me, it's, it's all about support education. It's, and it's the same reason, Rebecca, you were saying why you, you know, you wanted to start this podcast and, you know, to get support and information out there. And, and so um, don't be shy about, about reaching out to me and, and I can at least try and point you in the right direction. Perfect. Yeah. You know what? That's excellent. And yes, I will drop everything um, from Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, uh, LinkedIn, and also your YouTube channel <clears throat> all, all in the description. Oh, I have it all. Um, and I will definitely promote it. But I do, I do again, want to uh, thank you for just being flexible and, uh, and coming back um, again. Um, to redo this show, and I think this is a better show uh, for it. Um, and uh, and uh, it, I just can't say enough. So, 
Um, everyone out there in uh, in bipolar land around the world, uh, thank you for joining us and supporting us for season three. I know we were gone for a couple months, but I feel like this first show is just excellent. Mm. Make sure you connect with Joe um, if you are in any need of any assistance. And if she can't help you, she'll always direct you where you need to go. So let, hang on for a second. We have a very special message that we will play um, at the end of our shows. Uh, so we want to just kind of uh, do it again. Thank you for listening to another week of Bipolar Girl. In the words of Grammy Award-winning artist from Africa, Amo Sangari, who I absolutely love, Confico, the uncertainty of things. You know, living with a mental illness or living with someone with a mental illness can be uncertain at times. But that's why we do this show. We do this show to create community and a place where you can express yourself and get knowledge. Right, honey? Yeah, I mean, that's the whole reason we have the show, right? Though, again, things might be uncertain, you can be certain that we're here for you. Godspeed, and have a great week. (laughs) 